everybody. You are enjoying so many sequels today. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Uh, this week we are Good going transition. to transition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Review a movie that is being re-released in theaters for its 10th anniversary. Uh, we are talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This movie originally came out in 2010, directed by Edgar Wright, starring all of your favorite people, uh, Michael Sarah. Uh, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Chris Evans, uh, Brandon Routh, Brandon Routh. Uh, that you get the picture. Anna Kendrick, Anna, 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 Anna Kendrick. I said you get the picture. Okay. <laughs> um, so this movie was supposed to be released last year because last year is the actual tenth uh, anniversary, but obviously those plans got delayed till now, and thankfully it still happened. I'm excited for um, to, to see how the theatrical re-release does because it has been remastered for the first time. Edgar Wright said that this is the best-looking version of the movie you will you've ever seen. It, the audio was remixed with uh, Dolby Atmos, and the film was remastered in uh, 4K for Dolby Vision. So this is a movie that is going to be um, only available in Dolby Vision screens, I believe, which. Um, AMC has a lot of those, so it'll be it'll be exciting. This movie has a lot of great visual effects and fun colors and stuff that should look really cool in that remastered 4K. Yep, and but also and sounds, music, everything. It's gonna be great. We watched um, the Netflix version so that we could have this review ready for you. And oh my gosh, we have a fourth co-host now. Fifth. Fifth. <laughs> I can't count. I can't count. Neither can he. I watch there movies. Are four of us. He probably on, how many fingers count. is that? Oh, that's zero. <laughs> zero um, so yeah, this is a movie that a lot of people love. We all love it, I think. And it was a blast to revisit it. So who wants to kind of go off first with some of their first impressions on Scott Pilgrim versus The World? Uh, I'll go oh, last God. because he might cry. So okay, I'll just Andrew, or, Andrew, you go first because you raised your hand and David will go last. I think that, I think that this movie is like, I love Edgar Wright. I like I, I I will come out and say it because Edgar Wright no really has not made a bad film. Edgar Wright is just like is like so just out of the blue. He's not your normal director. And the thing is, is that no matter what he does, he always tells a story. He always tells a story that is actually so good. To have him do a a graphic novel adaptation of this is something that's a little just, it, it's strange at first, but after a while you kind of get the gist of it. What I have to say about Scott Pilgrim is it's so stylistic and it's like, it punches you in the face over and over again with its, it, it, with its, uh, with its style, with its super cutting, with its uh, with its soundtrack, with its acting, with its action, it's almost like a metronome tapping you on the head, reminding you like what's going on. So, um, my thing about my thing about Scott Pilgrim, and I didn't see it up until a few years ago. In fact, the first time I saw it was the first time I saw it was at. Uh, Let's see. It was you and I. You and I saw it, Josh. Yeah, I remember. It, it was a week before Ready Player One. Well, I don't remember that. 
And yeah, it was, and it was in the theater. And it was in the theater. Yeah, you had never seen it, which is yeah. just it's to this day an abomination. But that's okay. Um, but but the thing is, what I'm trying to get to is is that yeah, sure, get there. It's a highly enjoyable film. Yeah, it's it's it it like it just it it, it almost assaults your senses. Yep, and I agree in, in a good way. In a good way, <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, mean, I agree. There are movies that assault your senses that are just totally bad. True. So, but like this, this on the other hand, it's like it goes by so fast. And if, if you catch the reference, it makes you just want to go back and watch it again. So there's so many references, and there's so many like there's so much going on in it that you you really like are kind of exhausted by the time you end it. Yeah. The movie, I thought it, I thought it, it, it continues to hold up really well after ten years in many ways. the The script is still good; it's still funny. The story is still um, interesting and exciting. The graphics still look good. Um, nothing has really aged poorly in this movie at all. The cast is perfection, and it really like captures so many of these actors at almost like a perfect time in their careers, where Really, only Michael Sarah is fairly famous at this time. Like, there's other recognizable names, but many of these people are full-blown A-list movie stars now, um, mainly um, Brie Larson, Chris Evans, and Anna Kendrick are huge. And then un- right under them, I would put, you know, like Aubrey Plaza and a few others. And then you got, like, Jason Schwartzman has always kind of been around. But this movie couldn't exist with those actors if it were made much later, you know? Yeah. Chris Evans couldn't do a, a part that small. Yeah. Um, same for Brie Larson. So it was really cool. And and I, w- I was commenting, w- watching it this time, there's like no one who exists today um, in, in, in film who is like a Michael Sarah in his 20s, you know? He's a one-of-a-kind kind of guy. <laughs> and he's so fun to watch. Yeah, Michael Sarah <laughs> is like my spirit animal of that time period. I mean, his first big movie was super bad. And then from there, just everything, every piece of his filmography is just a character that I can awkwardly connect to. And it makes me so happy to watch uh, every time, no matter what movie it is, it's uh, this or youth and revolt or whatever it might be. It's uh, always wonderful. Um, This really is, I mean, for me, I, I don't throw it around in, a lot, but I, I would call this a masterpiece of movie making. Um, I mean, it's perfectly cast, like you said. Um, it's so, it really is so fast. I mean, everything is just perfectly paced, cut it's perfectly to, no. Yeah. And, and, and you really have to pick up and you have to be able to be okay. And I think this might be where some people may not enjoy it is you have to be ready to just throw anything at the wall and ready for just craziness. I mean, the scenes wherever he goes into a bathroom and then comes out immediately and he's just this, or all of a sudden the hat appears out of nowhere. Just these quick little out of nowheres that are just so funny, but also very weird if you're not used to that kind of a thing. Um, David likes to say that I have a good burger and a crank. This is like A plus good burger. Like that is, this is what a good version of my mind thinks. (laughs) Yeah. This might this be was, where the two come together. I mean, I was even saying that the even the you know, 
this is a, a humorous movie and a comic book movie, but the um, the fight scenes are very well choreographed and, and they are very well done uh, for this video game in movie comic book form. It's it's all of it from A to B to Z to everything in between is wonderful. Yeah. Um, now that I've got him a little more settled, uh, I would say um, I think Edgar Wright is the best visual comedian we have like today in form of a director. Like he's so funny, not just his movies aren't just funny from a dialogue point of view, which a lot of movies are funny from a dialogue point of view, but funny things happen in the frame. He uses the, the, the camera to be at like in hilarious ways. Like you said, Garrett, people uh, you know, the hat suddenly appearing from one take to another, you know, um, things just like appearing from out of frame, you know, <laughs> or um, I think about that scene every, like not every day, but every time I think about visual comedy, um, which is op- which is often enough, I think about the scene where Knives shows up mm-hmm. and she Her, says, yep. is, is, is Scott here? And, and he goes, he closes the door and you see Scott go, Whee! right out the window. <laughs> so hilarious. It's all in camera. Uh, with the exception of, I think the background's not actually, the, the back wall's not actually there. That's a, that's green screened in. But um, his use of practical and visual effects, blending them so well, it's so perfect. Um, he uh, There's a shot in the movie too, um, spoiler alert for this um, old movie, but uh, where he breaks up with knives, right? And he moves from being with her to at home and instead of just doing that the normal way of he leaves and you see him on the bus and he rides home, he gets out of the car. They tell it in this like horizontal visual thing where you where you have knives and then Scott and then knives and then Scott and then and then Ramona. And he's on the bus. Sure. But you're seeing like three stories happening across the frame in one moment. Uh, so genius. The actors are like you said, hilarious. I uh, uh, Lucas Lee is hilarious. Um, this is prime chris evans before people realized that chris evans uh was going to be the perfect the perfect uh you know straight lace hero you know um he's great in these roles um and then uh what else um uh you know uh the music is great in this so that's you know like i i, I was singing uh singing uh uh I don't really know what the title of the song was supposed to be. I can't remember the friend of a friend that care, that, uh, that Brie Larson sings, singing that mm, to myself yeah. like all the rest of the day. Well, and um, the music is so yeah. important. There are so many battles that, I mean, the whole premise is Scott Pilgrim is really interested in Ramona Flowers and, and her boyfriend Gideon has set up this league of seven evil exes that he has to defeat in order to get there. And he, and there, it's yeah, so yeah. music based where uh, he as a musician has to battle several different musicians in a musical way. Um, I mean, the bass battle between he and Brandon Ralph, um, the the synth battle and the, the rock battle with uh, the twins and the, the band. I mean, it, it is such an important piece as it is with many of his movies. Um, and, and, and it's all really good uh, alternative underground kind of music that I grew up listening to anyway. So that really just hits another piece of my heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, um, mu- the music's great. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of uh, something else to touch on, but. Um, go for it, Andrew. You had you, something. What do you got, Andrew? The only thing I was going to say was, was like, like any time, you know, as fast paced as it is, 
as fast paced as it was. I can't get that. I can't say that. Um, it's the story is never dull. The story is never dull. And the thing is, is that like, I try to compare this because it, because this is a graphic novel. The only other graphic novel comparison that I can think of that somewhat resembles this is Sin City. And the thing is about Sin City is, is that Sin City had that moody, had that moody undertone that the, that the original graphic novel was trying to emulate. This does it in a way to where it's actually watchable. You know, like it's not, it's not trying too hard. It's not trying too hard to draw attention to itself. But what you get here is it's like visual eye candy. Yeah. Because I don't, I, before this, I didn't know anything about Scott Pilgrim. I knew nothing about Scott Pilgrim. Same thing goes with Sin City. I knew nothing with Sin City. Um, but the thing is, is that like, it's not your normal comic book movie. And yeah, well, this that's what, that's what I liked about this the most. It's like, yeah, we're, we're seeing these, like, especially whenever they do a transition, like if you see like just a, like, like a telephone ringing or a school bell ringing and you just, just see like, you know, ring, you know, mm-hmm. you, you see the big old letters coming across the screen. Yeah. Yeah. What, what he does here, and this is compared to a lot of other comic book movies, but, and this is something that I, I guess translated was, was a big translation from the um, Scott Pilgrim books, which uh, it's okay if you hadn't heard of Scott Pilgrim before the movie, because they greenlit this movie after like one volume had come out. So it, it was very quickly fast tracked. I think the book came out in 2003 or 2004 and the movie came out just years later. So, um, but it makes, it takes the super heroic, uh, sort of like over the topness that you're used to with comic books and comic book movies and applies it to the mundane things that like shouldn't have sound effects get cool sound effects things that like should going on a going to a party and having a fight with someone you know turns into the lights shutting off and you're in a black room with each other you know and you know there's 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 perfectly timed sound effects and there's you know people uh, people tying their shoes in like incredible ways. Like everything about this movie, with the exception of the fights as they're portrayed, is kind of just like high school era, college age stuff that people do. But Edgar Wright and uh, and and the story is based on find a way to take the language of the superhero genre and apply it to a regular everyday story. And I think that's what is so also a, a different level of connectability is it's such a realistically a mundane life that's put in this silly supernatural situation that is weirdly relatable to all of us and, and can be connected. And like, this is what my life would be like were it to just be superhero-esque. Like I, I'm not a big crazy thing, but the sound effect would be the phone ringing that you would see the bam coming in, just stuff like that, that it's like, oh, that's funny because it's just a regular everyday situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, what, do you have anything on, on that, Josh, the kind of um, the, the visual style or anything like that of the movie? No, nothing to add. Um, I just enjoy it a lot. It, um, it adds an interesting element to keep you engaged and it's not even always the the visual effects. It's, it's some of the other gags, like um, when Scott walks into into the house and the Seinfeld theme plays, mm-hmm. 
and there's a laugh track track, for about a minute or two. Um, It's just fun little things like that. That best parts for me. Yeah, it's it was great. It really it sucked me out for a minute because I was like, oh, I forgot, I forgot there was a whole Seinfeld baseline in here (laughs) and a laugh track. Uh, But yeah, all that all that stuff just makes the movie more fun and, and adds another level to it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the seven X's. Can we do yeah. that? Yeah, let's talk about the seven X's. Um, because let's just, I'm just going to put it out there. And this may, I don't know if this will draw heat from this particular crowd. I think some people will probably agree with me. Uh, Ramon is about to have eight evil X's. I mean, let's face it. Uh, she, her, her, her standards are awful. And, my, and, and, and Scott's not great either. Uh, so it, this is, this is destined to fail, but it's really a fun, uh, uh, explore exploration of this, uh, these two characters. And I, I, I really enjoy the movie. Um, but I love, I love the second, uh, Matthew Patel shows up cause it just like the movie's dynamic shifts into a completely other world where you got this singing, uh, fashion karate, uh, guy come in and he's, those moves and i'm like oh man yeah. they really picked they really picked the lowest level guy they could to send first <laughs> yeah well he's kind of the uh one of the lamest exes isn't he he's just like yeah. 11th grade but yeah barely even an X. yeah what constitute an x in this universe it's right, very, right. Very, very limited very, very limited well it does show you i mean you are right she has pretty terrible standards as far as these exes go they are they're all uh, pretty terrible people. <laughs> She's learning as she grows, as we, we all do. Does she though? Because they seem the to twins, get progressively but... more evil. Well, that, I mean, that's true. But it's like Scott in, learned a few things at the end. I mean, he learned himself. He learned self-respect. You know, he he went through a journey. He may not have been great, but again, you don't know. He grew. He he made friends with uh, Mega Scott at the end. There. He did. He did. Which tells you all you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> befriend an evil version of himself. That's, that's fair. That's that's one of the that's funniest parts of the movie is because I, you're coming out of such a heavy, big time. You had a fight scene and then you rewound it and had another fight scene. Mm-hmm. And earlier they set up a, a whole negaverse, and then he's like, "I got this." And then, bam! Just two or three seconds later, oh, we're going to brunch later. It's yeah. so so perfectly fine. I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, Nega Scott is in fact the good Scott. <laughs> mm. he's the nice guy he's the scott that doesn't doesn't cheat on his 17 year old girl <laughs> yeah 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 which is a whole nother problem but right 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 no no scott's not great nobody uh, in this movie really is great nah, young neil that's okay <laughs> oh young neil i like young neil he manages all right who who is uh who, who do we think is like the the best of the exes not in terms of like who's a good person but which which is like your favorite ex? Uh, Brandon Routh is so. I mean, that whole premise is just a, 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 again absurd and silly and just so wonderful. And then you get the surprise appearance of Thomas Jane and the other guy who's been in a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. I think I don't remember his name as the vegan police. I don't. There, it's just it's so silly. And then oh. they have that funky baseline, and I I'm I'm here for funky yeah. baselines. Yeah, that made me laugh so much as a kid. Milk and eggs, bitch. Like, that was the funniest thing I'd heard in years uh, as an 18-year-old or 20-year-old, whatever it was when the movie came out. Milk and eggs, bitch. I have to to agree with 
I have to agree with that. Like, I think personally, the toughest one for me was uh, uh, Chris Evans. Yeah, the Chris, the Chris Evans character. But it's like the, the silliest one, yeah, is the Brandon Ralph one, and and that that was like a comic relief for that point. Um, but I love how they, I love how Chris Evans, whenever he came out of his trailer, came out to the Universal Studios theme. Yes, and yes. and every move that he did matched with its tempo, and I think that's great. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, he's it, that's a that's a that's an element of of right you'll see in other films of his is him matching, uh, like beats to the musical beats, you know, and oh, yeah. uh, so it's great we see it. I love Lucas Lee the most. Uh, he's just so funny. I love Evans' delivery too when he's like seventy flexes, you know, and he like he goes he goes you don't know. <laughs> That's all right, man. Go here. He's like, bro, go have it. Boy, and he psychs him out. Oh, so okay. my favorite subtle detail is the fact that all his stunt doubles come to beat up Scott, and, and for a moment you hear them talk, and it's just all Chris Evans actually <laughs> talking. It's all them going. It's all Chris Evans going. Yeah, take that. Uh, uh, just, they all have Chris Evans' voice. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, uh, and then the the epic grind was great too. Right. Yeah. I, Chris Evans is my favorite ex as well, and it's mostly because I think. Um, the fact that he skateboards himself to death is one of the funniest things. Um, in the movie. We don't talk. They, you know what they don't give enough attention to. They're like kind of overlooked is the uh, six and is number five and six, the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like even though they were the main foe in the battle of the bands, they're kind of easily disposed of in general. Yeah. But I love that scene too, with the big, big dragons and <laughs> yeah. Band and uh sex bomb. Hanging out. Anybody else have anything else they want to add? My only thing is, is that I, what I would like to know is what, how does Edgar Wright write something like this? Because, well, fortunately for him, he had a blueprint in the form of a graphic novel. That's true. I don't know how accurate it is because I've never read the novels, but I would like to. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. So the original ending that they had made of the movie, um, Scott goes back with knives and they had shot that. And it was on the, it was on the test version and the, um, everybody had kind of agreed that they weren't sure about it. The writer of the book said he didn't really like the idea, but he hadn't finished the ending yet. Um, in terms of that storyline, but it tested really poorly, and Mike said he thinks it'd be it would make it would it, ultimately he should end up with Ramona. So they reshot that, did that, and um, sure enough, the test audiences hated it when he got back together with knives. So um, at the end of the day, they you know uh, had to kind of make a move on the fly because that ending wasn't really there, and they had to kind of make that up. So um, I think luckily uh, O'Malley did. I think that that's the uh, author's name is his last name is O'Malley. They uh, changed it in the book to match the movie, so that worked out. Um, but I think I think Edgar, who else did he? Who else wrote with him on this? Not sure. Let me look it up real quick. You do that. But what would you guys have thought of that if if he stayed with knives at the end of the movie? Well, that's terrible. Yeah, it's really terrible. bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, they made a whole deal, a big deal. The whole thing is that he treated her poorly, but also that it was a little weird. Right. Uh, for his for the age difference, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been a smart way to 
and, and, and nobody would have learned anything. I think that going through that, she learned to forgive and accept, and he learned that he done screwed up and they both learned major lessons. Right. It kind of cancels out the whole movie to just go back to where he started. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, yeah. why don't we go through this whole thing with Ramona and the exes if he was just going to end up back at the beginning? That's dumb. Exactly. So um, the other writer on the movie was um, uh, uh, was Michael Bacall, who um, also wrote, um, is a, a, the writer for the 21 Jump Street movies and uh, Project Double X. I'm not sure what that is. But uh, yeah, so so you know, good writing team. They come up with it. You know, they they have a great, they have a good starting point, and then uh, they seem to just be very funny people. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't have much else I can say about about this one in terms of review. I I really enjoy the movie. Yeah, I think it's good. Well, that's fine. You know, I think I think we we covered a lot of ground here. It is a very good movie. It is. uh, it holds up. It's funny. It's exciting. It's a time capsule. It is a time capsule in a lot of ways, but it's also just, at least so far, kind of timeless because I think one way it helps, uh, what helps it stay timeless is that a lot of the video game effects are um, old game effects. Right. Kind of standards. They're, they're 80s and 90s game effects um, with 8-bit um, type animation at times and those like 8-bit music and floating coins and all that is like yeah. a synonymous video game. Um, yeah. The point counter. Yeah. The, so the, 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 the 8-bit universal intro is great as well. Right. Uh, those those yeah. are things that, that remain timeless. And so... Um, that helps it. Uh, and, uh, it would look weird if it was like, let's see, 2010. If it was like all Xbox 360 graphics, that would look. Yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah in, in, in 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 my in my head, this movie sits alongside a movie that came out around the same time, which is Zombieland. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that both took genres that are, were very well worn by the time of their creation managed to breathe kind of a new sense of life into it. Yeah. Uh, ironically, you probably could have switched the the main lead actors in both in the movie and, and had the same films either way. But I I really uh, and th- those they stand side by side in my head, and I, I can't really separate them. I think part of it too is the use of text on screen in mm-hmm. both those movies. I think both those movies did that really well. David, do you have box office numbers? I do. I have so ah, many box office numbers. This will be so, fun because this movie did not make money. <laughs> no. yeah. This movie um, is the, if you ever want to actually have a discussion of what a cult classic is, it's this. Because this movie, nobody saw like opening weekend. So, um, yeah, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World opened August 13th uh, uh, of 2010. Uh, so I was, I was 20. Actually, That's yeah. a few days after my birthday. It's just after your birthday. So you just turned about 25. Uh, no. Did it come out? Came out 2010. Okay. I can see the hamster running. Um, all right. So anyway, it uh, debuted in the not very good, not very flattering number five spot with $10.6 million. Uh, you might be thinking, what was the incredible film in the number one spot that uh, prevented it? It was uh, The Expendables. Opened up number one that <laughs> week with $34.8 million. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, who were the other big ones in that one? Terry Crews. Uh, uh, Statham. 
Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if Statham was in that one. I can't remember. Yeah, it was. Man. I mean, Arnold was there. Bruce was Arnold probably there. Bruce makes an appearance. They were became bigger in the sequels, I believe. Kevin I, Nash, I'm sure, was there. Jet Li was in it. Yeah. I just know that like every single action movie star that you can think of up until that point was in the Expendables. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. These people yeah. want to work, in the words of Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. We don't have to pay them much. They want to work. In <laughs> uh, number two spot, so here's here's kind of what, I think here's what did it. A combination of difficulty marketing and the competition that it was up against because you're hitting the two, two of the big, bigger demos with these top two movies. In number one spot, you had the Expendables with 34.8. And number two, you had Eat, Pray, Love with 23.1. So... Your dads and moms are going to those. And then in the number three spot, your teens are going to go see The Other Guys, which is still in theaters. Um, it's in its second weekend, may ring in 17.4. At number four, in its fifth week, bringing in $11 million, it's Christopher Nolan's Inception. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was a juggernaut. So Scott Pilgrim, kind of a, a, an expensive underground movie at $80 million. Uh, just makes ten million dollars. Not to not to not to to undersell too. It barely beat out movies like Despicable Me in the number six spot, which was in its sixth week and bringing in almost seven million. Step Up 3D brought in six point nine. Dinner for Schmucks brought in six point two. So like, it was a heavy weekend, and a lot of people were at the theater this week. Um, at the end of its run, Scott Pilgrim versus the World will go on to make thirty one million dollars in the United States. It would bring in another 16 million overseas. Um, an interesting detail I'll give you is that you know this. You know, I said it, it didn't open well. Didn't have a great second weekend either. Dropped to the number 10 spot. This movie was 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 seen by very little people when it first came out. Uh, for the year of 20 of 2010, Scott Pilgrim finished in the number 96 spot, just behind She's Out of My League and just above Charlie St. Cloud. Sorry, I got really excited about She's Out of My League. That's one of my, that's another <laughs> I, one of my favorite yeah, movies. Figures. Yeah, it's very funny. Very funny. Very funny movie. Which one? Underappreciated. Is, uh, oh, this is going to sound horrible. Which which blonde girl is that one? That is Alice that Eve. Never heard? She's Alice Eve. Alice She's Eve. in uh, the second Star Trek, I believe. That's true. Second Star Trek Beyond. I do remember that. Um, then Sex in the City 2 as well. She's in a lot of sequels. Um. Wow. Uh, so she's great for our show. Anyhow, number one in 2010, as you may or may not remember, Avatar. Number two, Toy Story 3. And number three, Alice in Wonderland. Number four, Iron Man 2. And number five, Twilight Saga, Eclipse. Oh my gosh, so two your, of the three of those are good. Those what are a, your... Um, what a bad top five. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Iron Man, Toy Story 3 ain't too bad. Um, not Toy Story 3, but like... You, you well, those are calendar numbers. If you change it to in-year releases, Toy Story One, Toy Story Three jumps up to the number one spot. Well, um, let me see here. Uh, so the inter- uh, internationally, it was probably even worse for Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but I won't go into all those details. Um, yeah, so I, I think um, you can look into it. There's been a lot of a conversation about why the movie failed. A lot of it is. Um, Sort of blamed on not the best marketing. Um, a representative for Universal said that they had really high hopes for it, but they had a hard time figuring out who to, you know, how to sell it because it's is it a comic book movie? Is it a video game movie? Is it for teens? Is it for adults? Is it you know, um, uh, is it you know, how you know, and how how are you exactly going to do it? 
The movie had a great life, though. It's gone on to have a big following. I hear, I still talked about to this day, I read you know, people on TikTok reacting to Scott Pilgrim versus the world all the time. So, um, so yeah, that's that's its run. That's your box office stats this week. Um, I don't remember who won the letterbox game this week, but I think it was Josh. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, <laughs> now we can go canonically, or we can go we can go by who won the last game we physically played. <laughs> I'll do it. If we go by the last show that aired, then I believe Andrew's up. Who knows? Um, yeah. It is. It while I'm pulling it up, it is crazy to me that that this movie went so under the radar when it came out. Um, I think it honestly is just ahead of its time a little bit. Right. It would be, I feel like it would be, I mean, obviously with the cast you have now, if they were cast in this now, it would be a, a blockbuster almost. I think, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, this movie would be, would cost way more than 80 million. Yeah. I think it would do a lot better now. I mean, it's uh, Edgar Wright is also more established as a director now than he was then. You know, honestly, I feel like all of the actors that are in this movie would easily, in a heartbeat, return and do something for it. I think that, you know, I don't I have any, this is just my assumption, but I feel like this is a very, you know, again, we said this is one before they got super famous. And I feel like that these actors that they've all cast have that kind of humbleness to them that they would appreciate this movie and everything that went into it. They're probably all still friends in some way, shape or form. So if they were like, you want to do some kind of Scott Pilgrim thing, they'd all be like, yeah. I, I will say that like the fact that this movie was not a success at the box office at the time has actually made me appreciate it just a little bit more. Because like, like, I mean, sure. Uh, but like the thing is, is that like, you know, most hits, most box office hits that we see, I mean, like uh most movies that i mean there are movies out there that make a lot of money at the box office mm. and you just don't care about it's just like oh that was good you know what's next with scott pilgrim it's like you can actually watch it over and over again mm. it's fun to watch it's yeah fun yeah and i it, I, it, it kind of fits you know when it when you're talking about cult classic movies it kind of fits up there with like i would say john carpenter you know like 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 and the re- and the comparison I'm making towards it is like is like the thing or even Blade Runner, you know. It's like it's it's so far out there in its genre that it's any time you watch it, it makes it that just much more entertaining to watch. Yeah, I, I you know I've say it I say it a lot. You know, we look at the box office sets often, but box office is not the measure of whether or not the movie's good or not. It often implies more about you know what the how you know how it was marketed, how it was presented more so than how good it actually was for that. You have to look at the second weekend and the third weekend. If people kept coming back because some movies will have a huge open and then they'll drop off 60, 70% because everybody who was going to see it, saw it or bad word of mouth got around. Um, unfortunately for Scott Pilgrim, it didn't really have much of either going on. So it just kind of moved by, but somehow found a life with a lot of people. So maybe on home video, maybe on uh, streaming services. I'm not sure. But glad to see that they're bringing it back to theaters. That the cast is is is, is kind of talking about it again. Um, it's really cool. Um, this is the kind of movie that if it had done really well, we probably could have gotten a sequel. So, yeah, one fun thing that's out there to check out is um, one of the you know they couldn't do a lot last year for the anniversary, but they did gather the cast for a virtual table read 
that is still available on YouTube to watch with most of the cast um, there reading along. Like yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, that is up on YouTube. If you want to check that out. Okay. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Who is going to make their first guess as to what this movie is rated? I'm going to say 3.7. Okay. Ooh. See, I always, I always use your trick, David, of um, where are the Lord of the Rings movies? And yeah. I try to base it on that. Um, yeah. God, this movie, it's going to be close. I'm going to give it a 3.9. I don't think it, I don't know. Before the, yeah. It should, mm, whatever. Okay. Playing chicken. Uh, I'm going to go with 3.6. Oh, oh, cut my legs out. Okay. Okay. He one dollared you. I'll remember this. <laughs> okay. So we got a 3.6, a 3.7, and a 3.9. Well, I can report to you that one of you nerds got it exactly right. <laughs> Um, when you nailed it, hope it's me. Completely, this the four hundred and one thousand people rated this movie. That's a big number. It is. Well, you know, it's been out for a while. Well, and this is the community that would really go for it, probably. Um, and averaged out, all of those ratings came out to a three point nine. Oh snap! That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, 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 it's really high. When you consider when you consider that there are very few movies that are higher than four point two, and the Lord of the Rings movies are all four point three. We've established how hard it is to get to get even a four point zero on Letterboxd. Yeah, Um, I always yeah. So three point nine. I mean, I wonder how many reviews that is away from from being a four point zero movie. How many five star reviews you would have to have to change that. Who knows? Everybody go mate, change your review to five stars if you haven't already. <laughs> Let's bump it up. Well, maybe it can be the, uh, you, you guys probably saw that um, Paddington 2 has now beat out Citizen Kane yeah. as the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, they found some. 80, an 80 year old negative review was resurfaced. Oh, That's boy. amazing. It was all they needed to knock it down a peg. I, I would love to read an 80 year old negative review. It's got to be so. I know. Oh, it's got to be so weird to read. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm going to have to find it. But maybe Scott Pilgrim can do that on Letterboxd. However, I'm pretty sure the highest rated movie on Letterboxd is still Parasite. And I'm okay with that being up there. True. Yeah, I don't. It's uh, definitely. I can look that up. We, or we can look that up. I wanted to talk a little bit about before we go. Okay. Uh, Edgar Wright's a big fan of Letterboxd, which yes. we're all about. And he has a Letterboxd has an official list of Edgar Wright's. 1,000 favorite movies. And I thought I'd ask you guys, I don't know if you have it ready, but um, how many movies have you seen on Edgar Wright's 1,000 favorite movies? I'll go first. Okay. I've seen 7%. <laughs> <laughs> I I have seen 6%. Oh. However, we, we, I, we said this off mic at least, uh, there's a lot of those movies that I have seen and just haven't letterboxed logged yet. Like well, I gotta, immediately noticed, like super bad. I have not marked as watched, but I have yeah. seen that a million times. I'm willing to like, bet, though, I don't go much higher than six percent. 
because you got a weekend project ahead of you. I know. Watch all of Edgar Wright's favorites. <laughs> Andrew, I feel like you have probably the highest percentage. Oh, he probably you has like watch, 1%. You watch a ton of old movies. Yeah, but he doesn't ever log them either. Well, the thing is, is that like, yeah, I have, there's a lot of movies on here. Like as you open it up, I'm looking at it right now. Well, as you open it up, I can already tell there's a ton of movies I've already seen. But yeah, I've not logged them yet. So really where my percentage sits, and I know this is wrong, is 2%. So yeah, you got to, you got to be a real movie buff like me. And right, right. Yeah. We're, we're numbers don't lie in the higher <laughs> almost 10% range. Listen, none of you stand any chance against me. You can't get close. Uh-oh. I am at a whopping 0%. What? Gary, <laughs> you've rated surely some of these movies. No, I don't rate older movies. I, my letterbox is typically newer movies. And so I don't go through and mark that I've watched old movies most of the time, just because I don't think about it. Um, so it says that I have seen four of the 1000 movies I've seen. I'm sure that's absolutely not even close. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whopping 0% for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've got, so his, the newest movie on his list is 2016's pop star. Never say never the only Island film. And, uh, then here's hell or high water, which you, ter- you, you told you, you, you've spoken about a lot. So I don't know if that's one of your four, but, um, uh, no, it's a two Star Wars, a Blues Brother, and a seven. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting challenge. There's a lot of cool lists on Letterbox that are like the box office top 100, the every Oscar, every Best Picture winner, um, every best, uh, every uh, the top 100 animated films on the site. A lot of cool like a list you can go through the top highest hundred or something on rotten tomatoes. Like they have those lists out there and it's a kind of a cool way to gamify movie watching. So, um, uh, I think Edgar Wright is, uh, as we said at the beginning, one of the best out there. I think that he is super influential. And so I'm really, uh, I, I would, I would love if we would go through his trilogy at some point, the unofficial Coronetto trilogy, Shaun of the dead, uh, hot fuzz and at, uh, and world's end. Um, I think that would be really fun to uh, to explore those movies uh, as a sort of different type of franchise. Yeah. I, I I would I would second that notion because like those movies are so fun to watch. At World's End is kind of meh, but but like the the other two, the mm-hmm. other two are are masterpieces. I can have a motion to uh, remove him from the podcast. <laughs> Agreed. I awesome. I, inst- I instantly. Tensed up inside as soon as you said At World's End was meh. I thought it was okay. Maybe he's also, thinking of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Before we wrap things up, I want to point two things out. Uh, when we had our Wheel of Death, Andrew suggested that as his one that he wanted to watch. That's mm-hmm. true. Just to remind you that you just said that that movie is, mm, you suggested to watch it. Yeah. Well, Secondly, you remember, we, though, we we tend to forget that if Andrew says a movie was meh, it's five stars to him. That's true, <laughs> which leads me to my next thing is what do we give it ourselves? For All me, right. a five-star masterpiece, no questions asked, move on. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to jump on that train. This is a five-star movie. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. no complaints about it, even after a decade. We'll watch it. And there's always. nothing I would change. It is incredibly rewatchable i think and hang on i may have already rated this hang on 
I know I did, and it was too low. I need to raise it. I don't want what to. I was thinking. Don't want to contradict myself if I've already done it. Um, Andrew, what do you think? I would go. I would go five stars. I, I feel like this is a movie that I can watch. I can watch over and over again. So, and yeah, five stars is good. Five stars is where I would put it. I think this constitutes a five star. So what I put in the past is four stars, okay. but um, trying to figure out if I want if if this rewatch of it that was just kind of going off memory. If this rewatch of it has 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 improved its overall ranking for me, and I'm gonna say a little bit. I'm gonna give it a four and a half, and I'm gonna ruin that five star uh, review. I think this is really good. I don't know. There's something. Uh, there's something. Well, you know what? No, screw Die! it. It's a five star movie. Wow. I psyched you out, brought you in, had the <laughs> haters ready. Guess what? Now you're hating yourself. My motion was to move you, remove you next after. Hate yeah. Five star movie. I don't I'm not sure why I gave it a four star the first time. It might be because I watched it when I was 20 and very different. So who knows? We need to make sure to like mark this because I don't know how often we all give a movie five stars. Yeah. Um, it have to, probably happened. But you can probably go back to. A, oh, I, I mean, that, the, I feel like the closest thing we've done is a Toy Story. I feel like easily uh, any one of us could have given a Toy Story a five star. Oh, I think all. Together. I think Toy Story one and three, we all gave four. We all gave five stars too. Okay, perfect. I uh, I have to. I have a list somewhere that I went through and I listened to every episode of our show and got those official rankings. I don't know what I did with them, but anyway, there you go. All right. Well. We, I guess that wraps us up for the week. Um, find us online, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Letterboxd uh, at So Many Sequels or So Many Sequels Pod. One of those will get you there. And be sure you subscribe to the show on YouTube um, or in your favorite podcasting app. We will be back next time with another fun movie review. Bye. <laughs>